Well, uh, you are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And speckled with paint, I'm Jim Dwyer. And I'm back from New York City, where, of course, the most interesting thing going on there is the mayoral race that's uh, getting very interesting. Dangerous, you might even say. Mr. de Blasio is making a move, and... uh, it turns out that stop and frisk is turning into the uh, burning necklace that Miss Quinn <laughs> may not recover from. Mm. And, of course, Anthony Weiner has got other problems. <laughs> we won't he keeps go, frisking himself. We, we won't go into them. But it is highly recommended that you not take your cell phone when going to the restroom. <laughs> that should be a new rule That's in his household. Anyway, obviously the big story of the week, other than the uh, 50th cel- uh, anniversary celebration of the uh, Martin Luther King I Have a Dream uh, rally, uh, which uh, I thought was uh, some very interesting coverage regarding the uh, continuing problems with civil rights that our country has, is obviously Syria. Um, I think it's fascinating I was listening to public radio by chance on Friday when John Kerry uh, spoke for about a half an hour. And um, I think John Kerry is one of the finest public servants of our era. And while I am not uh, in favor of any uh, protracted military involvement with Syria, I thought that John Kerry gave about as good an honest presentation to the American people and the world... Uh, since the world is watching, uh, in which he made the case. He laid the cards on the table. I don't think there's any subterfuge here. I think that the chemical attacks are pretty much proven and beyond dispute. But uh, Kerry didn't even use any props, like a uh, little canister of uh, (laughs) fake anthrax, like Colin Powell used. Just his uh, hair. It's prop enough. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> leaving the hair aside, let's remember that John Kerry, while in the Senate, frequently had a uh, a voting record even more liberal than Ted Kennedy. So this is a credible messenger here, and I expect that Syria will get hit upside the head uh, within the next couple of weeks. I think that Obama has wisely insisted on a congressional vote. So since, as usual, they're not doing their job, actually, they have an excuse this time, they're on break, (laughs) Labor Day break. This is usually when the the politicians are back in their districts, fundraising, attending uh, picnics, state fairs, and eating corn dogs. (laughs) Or cranking them out. Got to be seen with a corn dog if you're uh, from rural Illinois. But uh, obviously the Syrian situation is serious. Uh, And I say that seriously. (laughs) Wait a minute, that kind of rhymes with Syria. Uh, Aleppo and uh, Damascus are some of the oldest cities in human civilization. And it is an artificial creation in some ways of the British and French imperialists. Fascinating to see Britain... uh, reject 
British involvement in uh, any uh, attack on Syria, while France is supporting the American position for the time being. And I think Obama That's the first time in a while. made it quite clear that he's uh, not going to put boots on the ground, that this is not going to be a military occupation, that this is basically, in John Kerry's uh, presentation, a legal case to be made for intervention. He cites chemical weapons and the international treaties signed prohibiting their use. This followed the end of World War I. Of course, it brings back awkward memories of Saddam Hussein's use of chemical weapons against his own people. Yes. Uh, the Kurdish regions of Iraq. This was back when Saddam was our friend. Uh, oh, what an inconvenient friend he often was. And Shiite regions as well. Indeed. Um, so, I mean, this raises sort of odd questions about why now, why not then? Yeah. Um, and uh, another way of looking at the situation in Syria is sort of uh, from a uh, real politic uh, perspective. Anything more than a quick strike is is a lose, lose, lose scenario. Yeah. Because uh, Russia, China, and Iran gain big by doing nothing if the United States acts um, and gets caught up in an ongoing conflagration, whether or not there are boots on the ground. If, uh, you know, how many sorties will be flown, uh, how much collateral damage will there be, um, it's the, the potential for uh, the other countries of the world who have been supporting uh, or turning the blind eye to uh, Assad's regime uh, while supporting um, can stand to gain from a misstep by the U.S. And I'm always suspicious when John McCain thinks something is a good idea. Yeah. So I've been a little... Well, he and Lindsey Graham have been calling for military action for months now. Um, I don't think there's going to be much more than uh, possibly uh, some uh, air sorties, cruise missiles, whatever, and possibly an embargo or, or a quarantine, naval blockade, so to speak. Um, my skepticism and reluctance to go full, fully on board with this uh, policy is that heretofore, the United States has not in, involved itself with Syria's uh, mm -hmm. internal affairs in the past. Uh, in 1982, for instance, when Reagan was president, we uh, did not um, do anything or care anything about people being slaughtered in Hama, Hama uh, when uh, Assad's father uh, killed between 10 and 15,000 people. And of course, we know that the Alawite uh, population of Syria. It, it is a complex country. Uh, the Alawites make up between 10 and 11 percent of the population there. And this is key clearly, positions in the Ba'ath Party. Yeah, and this is clearly a uh, going to be a messy situation regardless of what happens. There are no good policy options, as the saying goes. Uh, sending a message regarding the use of chemical weapons, I think, makes the legal case and the, and the so-called moral case part of the equation, but I still wonder if it is wise. And I think that that should be debated further by the public. Ambrose Bierce once had a great comment. He said, war is God's way of making Americans learn geography. <laughs> Indeed.
uh, interesting that Charles Blow, uh, on this um, issue of war weariness, Kerry made a great statement when he said, I'm tired of war. You're tired of war. But fatigue is not an excuse not to do something in this case. I think Kerry laid the, the facts out as well as any public official has in the last 30 years regarding American intervention. Uh, let's recall that uh, I think uh, Congress has officially declared war, from what I've been reading, 11 times in American history. And we've had how many wars? Hundreds. <laughs> and Lebanon, of course, uh, was a area that Ronald Reagan sent troops in with uh, virtually no congressional debate. Uh, that was a policy made behind closed doors with Menachem Begin. And uh, the United States' interventions in the Middle East have uh, not done very well. The region is already in flames. I mean, uh, the argument that this will inflame the region further is, I think, silly. <laughs> Well, there's, there's flame, civil yeah. wars going on everywhere, and and uh, the situation. Th that was, of course, Egypt. the ironic uh, repercussion yeah. of the uh, many, many uh, excuses and rationales that the Bush administration gave for their military misadventures in Iraq was uh, nation building, yeah. you know, democracy, protect the resources. Blah, blah. It all just turned out to, well, what are we making up this week? Uh, oh, the region will be inflamed. Uh, well, that was uh, sort of the domino effect in reverse. Um, of course, the old domino theory that once one nation falls to communism, all the neighbors will fall. Well, the exact opposite has happened here. Bush went in to stabilize, quote unquote, and destabilization spread east, west, north, south. Yeah, we have a mad elephant on the rampage, uh, the United States. And, you know, amidst all this violence in uh, Syria and uh, even Egypt, uh, Iraq has been... Uh, there's been thousands of people dying in Iraq from sectarian violence. Uh, Charles Blow, in his Saturday column entitled War Weariness, demonstrating and showing the polls in which 42% uh, of the people currently think we should take military action. I suspect this poll, by the way, was taken before Kerry um, made his statements on Friday and Obama clarified America's position. 42% favor military action, 50% say no. Uh, it's interesting amongst the GOP, uh, which of course opposes Obama just out of principle. If he's for something, they're against it. On Iraq, they were 91 in favor, 91% were in favor of uh, military intervention in Iraq. In Syria, it's only 41%. Um, of course, the weapons of mass destruction and all of the <coughs> subterfuge used by the Bush administration all turned out to be uh, an, another fraud. But when Obama makes it quite clear that there will be no boots on the ground, no occupation, I think he's clarified quite clearly what we're going to do. The question is when. And one success of all of the bluster, if you want to call it bluster, is that the, uh, according to the BBC, the, the, the Russian Navy has evacuated its advisors from Syria, uh, sensing that there will be a, an attack anytime soon. And I think that it would be nice if uh, we could persuade the Chinese and the Russians at the Security Council to simply abstain. 
on this Syrian question. With the argument being made, there are international treaties regarding chemical weapons. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, the distinction between being uh, caught with uh, some sort of sarin, I forget the technical chemical weapon that they've uh, found in the uh, soil and in the autopsies performed on the 1,400 people that have died. Kerry gave the facts, uh, 250 children. This is outrageous, and Kerry's position is that there is a moral reason to do this, not a strategic reason. I don't buy into any of this nonsense about strategy, or this is a, in America's strategic interest. It isn't. Um, I'm still unclear what America's strategic interest is in the Middle East. I think that Kerry has made, by the way, a very good faith effort to revive the Palestinian-Israeli talks. And one always has to be suspicious of Israel's agenda. Uh, it's a little unclear whether they want Assad to fall or not. But we must remember that these rebels are a, a hodgepodge of coalition uh, groups. We have no idea what's going to uh, replace Assad, assuming he eventually falls. But I would argue that in the past six months... Things have swung back in favor of Assad on the ground. These rebels uh, are clearly supported by Saudi and Gulf state money and armaments. Uh, but uh, what, what's really going on on the ground? Uh, it, it seems like a stalemate, and certainly it's a killing uh, situation. But it's interesting in Blow's, uh, Charles Blow's piece... He writes, in fact, according to the Pew Research Center for People and the Press, only 50% of Americans can correctly locate Syria on a map. And an April report from Pew found that fewer than one in five Americans have followed the news about Syria very closely since May of 2011. That's not surprising. A recent uh, UN uh, report that I mistakenly did not date, but th this was from a couple of weeks ago, Nanette Kelly, who is a representative in Lebanon of the United Nations High Refugee Commission, uh, this would be another reason for intervening in uh, the Syrian situation at some level, reports that Lebanon, a country of 4 million people, officially host 546,000 Syrians who have fled the conflict most in the last five months. Tens of thousands are registered with the United Nations in just the last two weeks. The Lebanese government estimates that there are an additional 500,000 who have not registered. Lebanon is home to most uh, Syrian refugees, but other countries uh, host staggering numbers, uh, 478,000 in Jordan, 386,000 in Turkey, 158,000 in Iraq, and 81,000 in Egypt, which they go from one hot spot to another, I guess. you got to remember, too, that Jordan contains also many Palestinian refugees, yes. uh, uh, Iraqi refugees, so uh, it's a major problem there. So the refugee situation is serious, and it's quite clear that... Uh, uh, the Assad regime is 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 going to bomb certain areas based on ethnic uh, uh, ethnicity. 
Well, when you say that facts have changed on the ground, part of the factor there is, of course, uh, air support that Assad has control of. Yeah. And so it seems like that's a likely target for a military strike is to disable the Syrian air force. But I, I don't think that we should harbor any illusory ideas that a, a uh, you know, whooping uh, Bashar Assad up beside the head a little bit with some airstrikes is going to do anything decisive in the Civil War. The Civil War will continue. And I think that John Kerry, when he was chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, swatted away Lindsey Graham and John McCain's uh, eagerness to uh, commit American troops on the ground, as they put it, in Syria, which I think is sheer madness. And luckily, Obama, while he foolishly probably drew a red line in the sand, is drawing some other lines as well. And I think he's correct on those lines. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice to see this uh, deliberative uh, style. Um, we've had a decider for president, and uh, the decisions were pretty atrocious. Yeah. Deliberation, thoughtful contemplation, argument discussion. Sure. Uh, this is how to best uh, move forward, so deliberation is good. Yeah, and I don't think we're going to see an attack on Syria for another couple of weeks. Uh, I think Congress officially uh, goes back to uh, not doing their job next week sometime. <laughs> and we probably will be confronted with more of their shenanigans regarding the debt ceiling. That'll always be exciting. It's always great to see the American uh, economy downgraded by the bond markets, since we have a lot of morons uh, running the lunatic asylum, Congress. Uh, Gore Vidal, of course, wisely pointed out many years ago that Congress should be abolished since they have ceded their two powers to the presidency, the power of the purse and the power to declare war. Well, I don't think Congress is going to declare war on Syria. There's either going to be an up or down resolution. And it'll be fascinating to see if uh, Obama can persuade uh, liberal Democrats in the House of Representatives to support his policy on the grounds that John Kerry has outlined. Uh, I think, that, as I say, what I liked about Kerry's presentation, whether I agree with the policy or not, is that at least it was honest. At least he's laid the cards on the ground, on the table. We see the cards. He has no illusions. He's a realist. This is a man who volunteered for Vietnam, unlike... Obama's predecessor, who uh, seems to have been involved in the the party uh, the party bus down there in Alabama, didn't even perform his National Guard service, and then carries the one that gets swift boated. Yeah, thirty thirty million dollars. Before don't ask, don't tell. We had the elite what me worry approach to uh, military participation. Yeah, yeah, he was theoretically in the National Guard, but it's. Let's face it, George Bush never uh, fulfilled any of his National Guard requirements. He was uh, he was on the party bus. Well, he was on the party bus and never really had, I think, aside from the fact that he now enjoys a bit of painting and uh, clearing some brush, uh, a real, what most people would consider a real and proper job. Uh, and, of course, since today is Labor Day, I wanted to quickly mention 
Uh, Laura Flanders has an article in the September uh, 9th uh, Nation magazine about this ongoing restaurant workers, uh, the fast food workers strike. Sure. This has been a fascinating uh, development in uh, American social activism. Um, The Tea Party's purported claims to, you know, be against big government and to, you know, be for the little guy. Uh, the fact that many of those organizations and rallies are funded by the uh, right wing big money that spends so much time and energy uh, getting rid of the very sorts of restrictions uh, and limitations on corporations that help working Americans. Uh, the blindness of that participation is so uh, baffling and really in a way depressing that uh, I think Americans need to seriously take a step back and think for a moment about respecting work, actual physical hard labor. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all have jobs. Uh, some are harder than others physically. Uh, some are more demanding in different ways. Uh, but work is hard and uh, nothing in life is easy. And uh, we all want to be respected for what we are and the work that we do. We should be sure to turn that around to other workers. You might not think a fast food worker is worth $15 an hour, but in some markets that might be be uh, a very reasonable request, uh, especially when you look at the massive profits that major corporations make. That's another trick of the uh, right wing and their control on the media here uh, is small businesses and major mega world beating corporations are sort of put together in the same boat. And you'll hear a lot of people sing the praises of small business, job creation. Uh, but most of the loopholes and regulations uh that allow corporations to uh, rape and pillage without any real responsibility uh, to their own workers, to the places where they have their establishments built. Uh, Very different from small businesses uh, where profit margins are small and costs are expensive and you actually are supporting local people with local jobs. Yeah, and let's give out, I'm going to give out a brain damage award to the retailers. I see no reason why holidays have to be turned into back-to-school Labor Day specials. Uh, For gosh sakes, I mean, let's give people some days off in this country. Medieval peasants had more uh, religious holidays than we have days off of work. I mean, I can respect the fact that restaurants are open. You know, people uh, on their days off don't want to work, may want to go watch a baseball game, which is a great uh, Labor Day tradition. Had a lot of afternoon games today, for instance. The Tigers played in Boston this Great afternoon. Great game. Um, so rest, re- restaurants being open doesn't trouble me. But retailers being open on this particular day strikes me as just total lunacy. Uh, we don't need more shopping days, for God's sakes. We have too many shopping opportunities as it is. And let's give these people the day off. Right. Uh, it, it, it is really disgraceful that our national holidays have turned into these orgasms for shopping. <laughs> yeah, President's Day. Uh, <laughs> leaving aside Anthony Weiner's uh, <laughs> shopping well, habits. Hey, here's an idea. Uh, we've got Labor Day, and there's really not much respect given to or for labor or laborers in this country. Uh, let's be bold and ask for a LIBOR day. Yeah. Uh, LIBOR, of course, that secret uh, borrowing rate that banks allow themselves to borrow mass quantities of money overnight. Overnight. So that they can say on paper they've got so much money to make other arrangements. 
Everybody should get a LIBOR day, right? Why not? Uh, you and I will never have access to that sort of temporary uh, wealth or uh, grotesque power. Uh, so uh, Labor Day, LIBOR day, sure, one of each. One of each, and yeah, I think in, in my own analysis of the financial crisis of 2008 is that uh, not enough uh, has been... Uh, focused on the fact that Houston got hit by a hurricane that day and downtown Houston was washed out and guess what the banks weren't open and I suspect that the banks in America have this little fun game where they borrow money hourly even mm -hmm. and when the Houston banks that of course are generally <clears throat> their deposits are from the oil corporations and the natural gas companies down there in the southwest Oil refineries, Exxon Mobil. Uh, you you can go into the uh, the Fortune 500 and uh, identify the, co the the companies. But I suspect that the fact that Houston was shut down by a hurricane uh, on Thursday uh, led to the crisis on Friday. Uh, her, uh, basically, Galveston Bay got lifted into downtown Houston, mm -hmm. and I recall there was something like six feet of water. Uh, so Houston was a <clears throat> natural disaster area um i noticed by the way that uh, the, the uh, explosion that occurred in uh, a town in texas a couple of months ago was declared a federal natural disaster i'm troubled by that that was uh, malfeasance by a corporation right uh we we, we use the you know you can come up with some temporary legislation to deal with uh the human tragedy involved in that town, I think that town had the odd name of West Texas, seems to ring a bell. I'll have to check that one out. But uh, uh, initially, the Obama administration refused to declare that a federal natural disaster because it wasn't. <laughs> it was corporate uh, shenanigans and regulatory shenanigans, probably by the state of Texas in which uh, people's uh, lives, the town itself, was in danger. They were probably making and producing stuff that they weren't regulated or allowed to produce. So we need a, a actual congressional investigation into that disaster in Texas. Uh, I, I'd appreciate it because I uh, like the cards to be laid on the table, as John Kerry did, in my opinion. And in uh, the final, uh, we got about five minutes left in the program. Uh, I've been meaning to mention this for a while, uh, but I want to give a little plug for a uh, new bookstore downtown. Of course, we uh, used to have a number of bookstores across the area when the borders chain uh, folded, but uh, Literati is uh, open. Uh, they're on Washington Street there at uh, 4th. And I was in there uh, looking around a couple days ago, and I saw that Martin Lee has a, uh, if not new, a fairly recent book. Um, this one is called Smoke Signals, A Social History of Marijuana, Medical, Recreational, and Scientific. Of course, Martin Lee is probably familiar to many Gray Matters listeners for uh, his excellent and amazing book, Acid Dreams. Yeah, and we interviewed him down here in Gray Matters. Oh, that's correct. As part of his book tour. Uh, so uh, I look forward to starting this one. I haven't uh, 
really been able to delve into it yet as I finish it up. It looks a substantial. Of other it's pretty hefty as <laughs> usual. It's got a lot of scholarly notes in the back. Yeah. Um, it covers uh, social history, scientific history, uh, and it's sort of uh, well woven together. I've taken a few quick skims of it. Uh, he's a, a, a historian with a good sense of uh, important details that sort of get overlooked by other historians, mm -hmm. and he's also a good writer. So it's not, although it's a scholarly book, it's not at all uh, a dry or dreary one. <clears throat> he's got an amusing and wryly witty style. So, uh, and let's recall that cannabis, of course, was legal in the United States until uh, 1937 when uh, J. Edgar Hoover and Harry Dean Hanslinger decided that uh, <clears throat> some people had substituted marijuana smoking during the Prohibition years. So, of course, the breweries and the uh, wealthy uh, families connected to the production of alcohol, specifically beer <laughs> were very upset and they decided to create <laughs> reefer madness and mm -hmm. this kind of strange propaganda war against cannabis uh, that uh, even our founding fathers were known to smoke <laughs> in those long pipes yes that's right. i am sure that ben franklin uh, had a few tokes during his lifetime he was a wise man well, there's a great scene in uh, Thomas Pynchon's uh, Mason and Dixon where uh, George Washington treats the uh, surveyors to uh, a, a humble snack of some cookies. And it's been encouraging that uh, the Eric Holder, uh, Attorney General, who seems to be kind of on his way out, we haven't had an official resignation uh, announcement, but uh, it could be forthcoming soon, uh, recently announced that the federal government is not going to prosecute some of these drug crimes as uh, scrupulously as they have in the past because the prisons are overcrowded. And well, the, more and more states are decriminalizing, yeah, legalizing. And it's happening power to the people. Uh, I, I unfortunately think that the Orrin Hatch, John McCain, uh, Strom Thurmond generation, yeah. Can you put your hand on a Bible? <laughs> that was one of the most <laughs> surreal things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Strom Thurmond swearing in Rehnquist for the impeachment of Bill Clinton. Amazing. <laughs> It's like wow, pinch myself. Is this is this real or am I dreaming? This is this is the America we love. Too many pickled jalapenos I had. <laughs> Strom Thurmond with his bozo orange hair. Yeah, shock of reddish hair off his I had to wheel him, skull. I had to wheel him up to the Bible on a gurney. <laughs> Unbelievable. At the tender age of 96, fourth in line for the presidency, I might add. He was Senate pro tem. It's a technicality, but it happened. <laughs> Trust me. I saw it on TV. It had to have happened. Oh, oh we're boy. getting a little uh, jovial here in the final minutes of Gray Matters here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. We'd like to thank Andrew for engineering once again. Uh, do stay tuned. Yazoo City Calling uh, will be coming up shortly. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I think that that generation of politicians just simply have 
to move on. Indeed. Because <laughs> some of them uh, the page. saw Reefer Madness and they believed it. They believed a lot of crazy stuff. And then they believed that uh, the Russians were coming. And uh, Mandrake, the Redcoats are coming. <laughs> That's probably what Assad is, uh, is, is telling his cabinet right, right. right now. Feed me, Jack. Feed me. Feed me. I fed you, Jack. Uh, anyway, we are out of time. Yes, City Calling is coming up next right here on this fine station.